Welcome to our podcast. My name is Richie. I'm the student ministry director here at Highway. You know, a few months ago, I decided to delete my Instagram app off my phone. And there were so many different reasons why I decided to do this. But one of the things I noticed was that I don't actually post very many things. Um, I don't post very many stories. I don't even like to like or comment on my friends' and family's photos. But I'll spend hours scrolling through and looking through my feed. Anyway, despite me not posting very often to my social media accounts, I also noticed that I still have a lot of pictures. And you wouldn't be able to know now since I've deleted all of them, but I would have maybe like 10, 15, maybe 20 pictures of the same exact photo. And some of these photos, as I looked back, I actually remember taking and thinking to myself, oh, if I get this angle with this lighting in the shot, it would look so cool to post. Or maybe I need to try this other angle so the background is blown up and and the person is smaller. Um, Quick tip, if you want to take cool photos that does not show the ground, Um, but instead highlights either the backdrop or maybe more of the sky. You can flip your phone or Android or whatever phone device you're using to take a photo and angle it so that it's pointing up instead of down. That way you don't look super weird trying to take a photo and trying to get really low to the ground. Anyway, I noticed I had a ton of the same photos in my photo library. And I remember trying to make sure that I took a lot of pictures so that I could pick out Of the 15 or 20 or so, the one. The photo that I could maybe one day post. The photo that would go out to the world on my social media sites that people would also be able to see, like, comment, maybe even follow. And I think we all do this in our lives. Maybe not with social media. Maybe maybe not even with photos. Maybe you're not as bad and and as nitpicky as I am, but to an extent, there is something within us that drives us to be this way. There's something within many of us that tells us we need to do certain things, we need to look, feel, think, speak. Whatever that thing is, we need to do those things a certain way to be accepted, to be known, to feel like we are enough, that we are in the right. In scripture, this is a common theme, actually, and maybe not in the same exact words, uh, but a lot of these themes to be known, to feel like we're enough, to know that we are accepted, point towards righteousness. Actually, in scripture, we see a lot of people trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what righteousness looks like, what being justified, what being in the right with God looks like what it means to be enough for God. Does it mean I follow all the laws? How close to the law can I get without breaking the law? Or or maybe here's a question that I know you've heard. You want me to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? And what does that love really look like? You've heard some of these questions, and maybe we've asked these questions in a way ourselves. But these questions lead to a yearning, a desire to be righteous in the eyes of the Lord. God, what does it take to be righteous? 
in Luke, we're going to be looking at a parable that kind of begins with this idea of righteousness. And later, Jesus explains what this parable means. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. All right, if we stop here, we learn a lot about what is happening. Context is super important for any passage we read in Scripture. And what we read in verse 9 is the general audience Jesus is about to tell a parable to. It says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So already we have an idea as to whom this parable is directed to. We don't know the exact group of people, nor the specific people in the crowd, but we know that they were confident in their own righteousness. So this crowd actually must have been pretty good. They were confident enough in the things that they have accomplished, maybe the things that they do in their daily lives, this may be spiritual practices, but whatever it is they did, they were confident in their own righteousness. It is also interesting that they looked down on everyone else. And we read on, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. I swear, every time I read this, my brain just thinks Jesus is about to tell a joke. Anyway, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we have two important characters in this parable that we need to pay attention to, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, when we read a lot of these parables, if you're anything like me, you tend to put your own insight into a lot of what we read into scripture. If you've grown up learning about these Bible stories, you might immediately think that the Pharisee in this story is going to be the bad guy, right? When we read scripture, we tend to see the Pharisees as those who tricked people. Jesus, uh, those who held their head up high, and though and though this might be true, I also want to remind us that the Pharisees were extremely respected. The Pharisees were a group of people that some might even aspire to be. They were seen as some of the most righteous people around. Like, if there was anyone who was right with God, it was going to be a Pharisee. They were a Jewish religious group who wanted so badly to be righteous before God's eyes that they even made more laws for them to follow so that they wouldn't come close to breaking the law that was given to them. Kind of like those students, maybe you were that student or are that student now, that when a teacher would assign a paper that was supposed to be, I don't know, five pages long, they would turn in a 10-page essay just in case. Just in case, right? The Pharisees wanted to answer this question of what does it look like to be right with God? What does it look like to be right with God? What are the things that I can do to please God? It actually kind of makes a lot of sense, right? Like you're thinking, how can I be right with God? How can I please my God? And you're given these laws and you do a really good job at following them. Now, 
start to ask, how can I be even more right with God? Well, if these laws are what I think pleases God, then I'm going to make more laws, and they're going to be stricter this time to show how much I care, to show how serious I am about following and being right with God. Now, on the other hand, we have a tax collector. The tax collector is practically the opposite of a Pharisee. Tax collectors represented Rome. They worked for the government, and a lot of people saw them as traitors to their own people. They would often collect taxes with an additional fee that they would pocket for themselves. Essentially, they were thieves. So in this parable, we have the Pharisee and the tax collector, which Jesus is going to show us some insight as to how they both pray. This is verse 11, and it says this, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. We read this and lights immediately go off. We think to ourselves, man, this Pharisee is a self-righteous jerk. He basically thanks God that he is not like the sinners around him and then begins to list off his accomplishments. Now, the accomplishments he's listing off are actually pretty crazy accomplishments. The law only required people to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, but this Pharisee, this Pharisee is fasting twice a week. Not only that, but he's given, he's giving a tenth of all he gets, which at first glance sounds normal. But in the law, there were actually only certain items you were asked to give a tenth of. If you were to receive your paycheck, okay, if you were to receive your paycheck and give a tenth, that makes sense. Now, you take that paycheck, and this is essentially what the Pharisee was doing. You take that paycheck, and maybe you go buy lunch with it. Well, you just receive something else, so you need to give a tenth of your lunch as well. Maybe not this simple, but this is how far the Pharisee was willing to go to be right in the eyes of God. So we see how this Pharisee prays. He doesn't make a request to God. He doesn't praise God. He instead thanks God that he's better than everyone else, then proceeds to remind God as to why he is better than these other people. Now, we continue reading in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's interesting because already we see a difference in even the approach of what prayer looks like for the tax collector. Now, the Pharisee didn't do anything wrong as he began his prayer. Standing up as he prayed was a common practice for a public prayer. But the tax collector almost seems as if he doesn't belong. He puts himself at a distance, and instead of looking up to the heavens, looks down almost as if he is ashamed. The tax collector then proceeds to pray one sentence as he beats his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That action of beating your chest showed extreme sorrow. Not only that, but he prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, this doesn't just mean a sinner, but the sinner. Lastly, we read Jesus' conclusion in verse 14. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, when we read this parable, I don't think we give the same kind of reaction that maybe some of the listeners would have given. To think that the one who went home justified was not the Pharisee and instead the tax collector was a very different way of thinking for many. I imagine some of the reactions as they listened to Jesus was maybe feeling like they were tricked. They heard Pharisee and immediately may have wanted to identify with the Pharisee. They wanted to be the good guy in the story, only to find out that in the end, the one who was justified was not the Pharisee, but the tax collector. Maybe some felt angry. Remember who the audience was in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. And in this parable, Jesus basically tells the audience that they are the ones who need to be humbled. It's interesting because what Jesus basically says here is the last thing you would want to tell someone who is prideful and arrogant, which is to tell them that they are prideful and arrogant. Jesus wraps this parable up and leans into the importance of humility. You have one individual who is self-righteous, who is doing being, saying all the right things, and another individual who is the opposite. Instead, they recognize that there is no way for them to be righteous because of their sin. So how does one become righteous? How can one be justified before God? And Jesus' answer is humility. Here's the frustrating thing I find about Jesus' parable, is that humility is hard. I'm not talking about the kind of humility you show when someone gives you a compliment and you immediately reflect that compliment. We're talking about the kind of humility that requires continual digging of being honest with ourselves. This humility requires us to call out the good, the bad, and often the ugly that we all hold. It's the kind of humility that makes us realize that we can't be right with God. That there is no way to be right with, our, with God through ourselves. And so the only thing we can do is beat our chest in sorrow and ask for God's mercy. This is what we see in the tax collector. This is the key difference. Because the tax collector was not a good person. Tax collectors knowingly exploited or used others for their own financial gain. The thing that brought the tax collector to leave home justified before God was his humility. The recognition of the wrong that he had done, but also the humility that is shown as he expresses his need for help. Humility before God is often twofold. It's the posture in recognizing our own sinful nature to do the dirty work of being aware of our own ugliness. And second, to be humble enough to ask for help, to ask for forgiveness, and like the text collector, to ask for mercy. This is what it looks like to walk in humility, to pray with humility. As we read this parable, something else happens. And I don't know if you have caught yourself doing this before, but even 
after reading this passage over and over and over again, I still continue to find myself as the tax collector. That it's really hard to see myself in the Pharisee. The Pharisee is a character in this parable that, for me, seems out of touch. Even knowing all the context, the tax collector's prayer is exhibiting a large amount of humility and is the obvious choice for what we should strive for in our own prayer life. We are encouraged to not be like the Pharisee in his self-righteous prayer. We know the importance of not seeing others lower than ourselves. I don't think anyone wants to appear as someone who is self-righteous and looks down on others like the Pharisee. But as we read the parable and attempt to identify with the prayer of the tax collector, we begin to become just like that of the Pharisee. We might not say or think the exact things, but when translated, our thoughts look something like, at least I'm not as self-righteous as the Pharisee. At least I don't look down upon anyone else for my own self-gain. And lo and behold, we are doing the exact same thing as what the Pharisee is doing to others. We've started to put ourselves on a pedestal even higher than the Pharisee, thanking God that we are not like the others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, tax collectors, and even that Pharisee. When reading this parable, we are challenged to recognize that we are more like the Pharisee than what we had initially thought, that we are even more self-righteous than what we would like to be. As we've been learning and leaning into different stories and parables of transformation, it is important for us to see that transformation first happens with humility. To see that we are no better than the tax collector, that we are no better than the Pharisee, that we ourselves cannot be righteous through our own self-achievements, that we ourselves have to undergo our own journey with humility. That if we want to be transformed, we must hold on to the posture of humility, recognizing the ugliness in our own lives and being humble enough to ask for God's mercy. Because the only way to be righteous, innocent, just, or right with God is to be with the one who is righteous, innocent, just, to be with Christ. To be transformed from our self-righteousness, we need to lean into the humility it takes and begin to allow Christ's righteousness to transform our lives. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, this passage uh, is so difficult because there's so many challenges that we read into this passage. God, would we learn what it looks like to pray with humility? Would you teach us what it looks like to live our lives with humility? God, we invite you to continue to do the work that you are actively doing in our lives already. Would you help us to be transformed? Would you give us the humility it takes to say that we are wrong when we are wrong? Would you give us the humility it takes to see the ugliness in our own lives that maybe we don't want to see or dig back up? Would you give us the humility it takes to come to your cross? Ask 
for your mercy. God, would you be with us this week? In your name we pray. Amen.